1: Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time. No football this weekend. Time sort of a sort of an SEC thing. Time kind of sad that this was coming, but we knew it was coming. Time, but we have other sports to discuss. Time, whatever time of day it is, boys and girls, it's the right time for the Gophers twenty-four-seven podcast. West Rucker coming to you from. Fort Rucker Studio here on a Thursday afternoon. Going to hope to drop this to you late Thursday afternoon, maybe early Thursday evening, depending on how things go. We try to get this out for your commute home Thursday, but I'm not sure we'll be able to get that done for those in the Eastern time zone this week. But that's okay. Things happen. Not just me on this podcast, guys. We got from the Govalls 24 7. Blount County Satellite Office down there in Maryville, Tennessee. We have Grant Ramey. Grant, what's up, man?
2: Just another open date, twenty twenty.
1: Yeah, I know, right? Uh, normal. Yeah, Everything's fine.
2: Yeah, things on schedule. Nothing's chaotic. Let's go.
1: Yeah, it, it was uh, sort of a, a sign of, of the week when I think it was maybe yesterday. Uh, I tweeted that we're about to go. We're, we're about to be forced to watch um, NASCAR guys play each other in video games again. Uh, to which Roush Fenway Racing responded to me by saying, "We've always been doing that." So apologies, sure. apologies to those uh, with the uh, Roush Fenway Racing team. Did not want to rub anyone there the wrong way. Just trying to have a little fun, going back to the uh, the early days of the quarantine when that's basically what we could watch. Maybe some. Uh, some-
2: back in the day, back in the old days. <laughs>
1: back this year, man, this year. It uh, it's continuing, you know. Tennessee, despite not having uh, any any COVID issues of its own, which is a nice change. The Vols have gone more than six weeks without a positive test. Uh, there have been issues at several other SEC programs, including Texas A and M, and I'm not sure A and M would have been able to field a full roster, uh, or at least not not definitely not full roster, but not enough of a roster uh, to go ahead and play at Tennessee on Saturday. So that game, along with many others in the SEC, has been postponed. Grant, we've been saying this all year long that, you know, the first few weeks, you know, in terms of the results, you know, maybe not what Tennessee fans wanted, but but the games were played and, and things compared to what they could have been looked um, looked pretty good. But, you know, we all kind of knew that when it started to get cold, uh, this virus would, would keep going. Uh, it would have another spike, and that's what's happening right now. And it's just it's hard to play games when this stuff is going on, isn't it?
2: Yeah, and honestly, the way this is playing out now for the SEC, I think makes the league look even better for the way they handled things back in July when uh, the Big Ten was canceling and the Pac-12 was canceling, trying to push everything to the spring. And they just the SEC just kind of pushed everything back a couple of weeks and said we're going to try to play uh, as on time as we can, try to get in as many games as we can. It's 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 one thing to have this happen across the league after you have played six games. At least most teams have played six games it's a very different thing for the big 10 to have one game with Wisconsin, a very good team. And then they have to cancel for a couple of weeks because of an outbreak. Uh, Ohio state, Maryland can't play this week. Uh, I think, I guess they have what, two games each or maybe three games each uh, under their belt. So at least the sec, uh, if you want to look at it optimistically, they've got a lot of games under their belt and now they can adjust moving forward. And they've left a week, uh, December 12th between the end of the regular season on the fifth and the championship weekend on the 19th. So uh, you knew it was going to come at some point. Now just handle it, figure out what's best for everybody, and, and move forward.
1: And you know the the Tennessee A and M game obviously is not the only one that that is being uh, you know postponed. Alabama LSU not happening, which I know makes Alabama people happy after the way the LSU won that game and ran their mouth. Uh, a lot about it last year. You know Bama was looking forward to that game. So we'll we'll see if they can get that in and Bama can get its revenge, which would be just an absolute bloodbath of a game, probably the way things are going for those programs. Obviously, Auburn and Mississippi State also uh, will not be played. So it's going on really around not just the SEC, but college football in general. There's a lot of places where they're not going to be able to play football on Saturday, and it's another open date. We are where we are right now in our world, in our country – And things are, um, they're just tough. You know, hopefully that, hopefully people keep doing what they're supposed to be doing uh, with distancing, mask wearing, etc., Hopefully they, Pfizer and those others can get this vaccine, uh, get the final parts of it tested, get it circulated the next few months, maybe, I I hope. Uh, I mean, we're all kind of hoping right now that the world can get back to normal before we have to just completely shut this thing down again, which is happening in Europe and uh, I'm afraid might be happening here in our country soon. So we are where we are, and we have to try to get through it and move forward. Grant, for this Tennessee football team, do do you think this is – this is a, a a bad break? Is this a good break? Is this somewhere in between? I think, personally, you, you could make both arguments. I think you could argue Tennessee could use a break right now uh, with the way things have been going on the field in games, four-game losing streak, uh, losing two games they shouldn't have lost. Uh, you could make that argument that, that they could use this time, or you could look at the flip side and say this is a screwy year and what you really need and what this team clearly needs is more experience on the field, and if uh, more than one game gets postponed, you, you don't know if you can make it up, and this team needs experience of playing in games. So where do you stand on what this means for Tennessee right now?
2: I stand on it being a positive because what we've heard from training camp on is how Tennessee's been trying to make up for lost time ever since. Uh, they had a really bad outbreak there in camp, and they are missing – you know, 40, 50 guys, whatever it was for a couple of those practices and everybody in contact tracing. and Some of these young guys still haven't really been able to do anything in games because they've been trying to make up for that lost time dating back to camp. This C team obviously is in a really tough spot right now, four-game losing streak. Everybody's miserable. Fans are uh, about to go crazy. They want to see changes and all this stuff. Well, now's the time to get any of these young guys that you think can help you ready. You have extra weeks. You have time. As bad as it is that you're not playing on Saturday, you still have practices through the week as long as uh, you've controlled the outbreak and, you know, the numbers and stuff. And crew hasn't seemed too concerned about a positive test or, uh, you know, a lot of guys being out of practice or anything like it was back in the fall, early in the fall uh, before the season started. So I, I think it's a positive. A&M obviously uh, has been hitting its stride. Uh, won, I don't know, four games in a row or something like that. Went to South Carolina and won 48-3 beat Florida a few weeks ago in College Station. That's a really good football team. Kelamon's playing good. Um, that's the best Jimbo Fisher's had them playing since he took over there. Uh, so to miss them uh, or to push it back to the 12th, if that's the case, um, that's not a bad thing for Tennessee because Tennessee right now needs to get Tennessee fixed. They don't need to have to worry about AM. and uh, Going to Auburn is going to be a tough enough game. Uh, should that game happen, getting two weeks to get ready for that should only help you even though, you know, Nobody wants to sit on a four-game losing streak any longer than they have to.
1: Yeah, the, the way I sit on this is it, it's a good thing for Tennessee if only one game gets postponed, um, because if only one game gets postponed, you get an extra open date right now when you obviously could use it uh, so you can get some guys ready and do some things. Where I run into trouble is if if a couple of games get postponed because then you start to, to wonder, well, can they make those games up? And the more that I think about this, I understand that that the SEC wants to, you know, kind of have the championship game be the showcase piece, uh, and it's obviously a huge game. But from where I sit right now, I'm thinking that – Let's say, for instance, let's just throw out there as an example that, that both the, the Tennessee's game this week against a uh, and and next week's game at Auburn, let's say they both have to get postponed. Auburn's had a tough time right now, a bunch of guys going, you know, testing positive, guys on the staff. They've got a bunch of issues right now. So let's say that that thing gets postponed also. At that point, you know Tennessee and Auburn are not going to be playing in the SEC championship game. What would be the harm in those teams playing at, say, noon the day that you play the SEC championship game? Or even you know, Hell played at nine or ten am. It doesn't really matter. Uh, just I, I wonder if if they could do something like that for teams that very clearly could use the experience, could use playing, uh, but they're not going to be in the championship game. Do you think that the league would have some sort of an issue with that, or is that something they could look into? because I, I think I think it makes sense.
2: Yeah, I don't know why. I think it turns it into a celebration kind of of the league. I mean, think about New Year's Day in the past. Uh, All the bowl games all day on New Year's Day, they don't take away anything from whatever the eight o'clock game is like a fiesta bowl or a rose bowl or sugar bowl, Uh, whatever happens New Year's Day, it builds up to those games later in the day, the primetime stuff. So uh, I think you should be wide open to that idea. I mean, you you, you want to get as many games in uh, for as many teams as possible because these guys want to play football. They want to have some semblance of a normal season, um, even though nothing's going to be normal. You just want to play as many games as you can. Uh, and I would, I, I think they should, uh, I don't know why you would be against that really. I don't I don't think it takes away anything from your championship product. Uh, I think it, it celebrates the league and uh, moving forward, if there are multiple cancellations, if this thing stretches into a second week, I think you got to prioritize those uh, divisional games, SEC East versus SEC East, yes. West versus West. Uh, you know, Tennessee's got to play Florida. they got to play Vanderbilt. Florida, if, if they're going to be the East champion, they need to have, you know, the same number of divisional games as Alabama if Alabama wins the West. So I would focus there, and then I would push those things back to the 12th and 19th uh, as much as I had to just – Get in as many games as possible.
1: Yeah, I think uh, this might cause some some need for creativity uh, within the league. You know, you're going to have to have some flexibility. Uh, I, I would I would make sure that there are hotel rooms booked at just about every campus for a few weekends, just in case. Uh, and I would make sure that that teams uh, have planes on standby ready to go because you might have to to move some things around with scheduling. You know, you you might have to add a team or subtract a team from your schedule. I just think you. if teams want to play – now, if they don't want to play, they don't want to play. But if teams do want to play uh, and this thing does go where I'm afraid it looks like it's going, I mean, you just look at the – you don't have to be a genius to put two and two together on this. Uh, our number of cases nationally are going up every day. Uh, None of our 50 states are trending in the right direction right now with the number of uh, both infections and and hospitalizations and all those things. It's not objectively speaking, it does not look like it's going great right now. So that was sort of the concern when it started to get a little bit colder outside. I know it's been warm in Knoxville all week, but it has been colder. Uh, People are going to spend more time indoors. Um, And and so I think we all, we all knew this was a possibility. And I hope that the league, showed the for, can show the foresight that it showed going into the season, right? They had a pretty good plan then, and a lot of other leagues ended up doing what the SEC did. The SEC was kind of – had a leadership role in that. So I hope they can – if they need to get creative, I hope they can do that because a lot of these teams are going to need to play, right? Just because you're not being charged a season doesn't mean that it doesn't matter. Go out there and get some games in and uh, do what you can do. So – I hope that it works out. Uh, We'll see. I have some some reservations. I have some concerns, um, like we all do, but I hope that that thing gets turned in the right direction.
2: Uh, A few weeks ago when this was kind of happening across the NFL and they had some games that couldn't be played, they reworked the schedule like six or eight weeks, it seemed like. There were different games, different opponents going to different places. Uh, They tweaked a lot of different games on the schedule. That feels like what the SEC might have to do moving forward, even though it's such a smaller window this was you know six eight eight weeks out maybe for this nfl schedule change you know obviously time's running out in the sec to get their schedule right and to be able to fit everybody in and get the games in that you need to play but focus on the the divisional stuff uh, make sure your champions can be crowned in a pretty good way in terms of uh, divisions uh, and then build everything towards the sec championship and like you said, get as many games in as you can because these guys want to play football.
1: And, and I'll tell you where where this is starting to the past couple weeks, this week in particular, has started to make me really concerned. Uh, it has really hammered home the concerns that a lot of us have had about basketball the entire time uh, because as, as it gets colder – um, until we get a vaccine, or until just you know some sort of a, almost a miracle, basically everybody does everything they're supposed to do, does everything they can to contain this virus. Uh, th- things are going to get tougher as it gets colder, and basketball is a sport played indoors, right? It just is. There's no way around that. And with with all these numbers, and, and then you have to talk about the contact tracing stuff. I am very, very concerned, and I always have been, really, about basketball season. But now that it's, you know. Two weeks or so from from games starting, uh, there is going to have to be like the patience of Job. People are going to need the patience of Job dealing with this stuff because you're if contact tracing affects a team, guys do the math. There's what 15 guys or so on a roster, give or take, including walk-ons, uh, maybe 16 depending on what that that number is. You get contact tracing stuff. I mean, your entire team can be out lickety split, you know, for 14 days. So it's going to be a problem. You've already seen a couple of programs postpone some early season games that they've just rescheduled and now they're postponing them again and it just I'm really really concerned. I hope they figure out a way to do this, but I am concerned about it.
2: I'm not concerned because I won't let myself go there.
1: <laughs> That's <laughs> Normally I would call that naive, but right now I think that is probably a good thing to be, honestly.
2: I'm going to have a basketball season one way or the other college basketball will be playing. I'm um, going to speak it into existence.
1: I like that. You know, hey, Grant, that, what, what, weren't you the one on the staff pushing that uh, mindset going into football season?
2: Probably. I'm the most optimistic person I know.
1: The, the weirdest thing about it all of 2020 to me has been the shocking turn in the optimism of one Grant Ramey. I think that's been that's been as surprising as anything that I've seen this year is that now he's the guy saying, like trying to rally the troops, come on, guys, we can do it. You know we can we can have but, this season, but
2: I stay true to myself. And even when the Chicago Bears were five one, I said they sucked.
1: That's that's well you can't you can't completely reinvent the wheel. You've Got to stay but, grounded somehow. Yeah, you know you got to got to keep those got to got to keep those four wheels on the ground. Uh, you don't want to you don't ever want to take flight. You know you don't you don't want to know how high you can fly. Uh, but but Grant, looking at this, you know. It, Let's 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 go far from what you just said. Let's say that there is a season. Let's say that you can speak this thing into existence with your mighty power. Tennessee, uh, not not a huge shock to me. Uh, on Thursday, was picked uh, as the preseason SEC champion uh, or predicted to win the league. I guess I should say by the league's media. Uh, John Fulkerson named first team All SEC. Um, Eve Pons named uh, second team All SEC. Florida's Keontae Johnson named uh, preseason Player of the Year in the league. I don't think it's a shock uh, because I know Tennessee would have been what a what eight seed or whatever it was in the SEC tournament last year, uh, seven eight seed something like that. But you know, basketball you can remake everything in a year. Kentucky, Kansas, Duke, Carolina—they have different teams every year. I don't think that necessarily matters, um, but uh, I do think that it's interesting that that people, um, some people, seem surprised by this. When I think when you look at the rosters, I, I don't I don't have a problem with this pick at all.
2: I don't have a problem with it, but I do think it's a shocker. I do think it's a stunner because this is Kentucky's basketball league. This is every year this time of year as, you know, as annual as the the leaves turn in orange and, and falling off the tree, Kentucky gets picked to win the preseason, uh, gets to picked to win the SEC and the preseason media poll. I mean, that's just the way it is. I think it's a huge compliment to what people expect from this Tennessee basketball team and what people think it's capable of because it's really tough to be voted above Kentucky, uh, Basketball to pick to win the SEC. Uh, I think Tennessee's got a really good roster, a lot of talent, good mix of veteran production, uh, young guys coming in, uh, you know, crowded backcourt, post production returning, Fulkerson and ponds all those guys. But Kentucky's Kentucky, and, and they always have, you know, they, they don't really recruit, they just have their own little draft picks where they, they get their guys that are one and done, and they bring them in. It's just a matter of time when they grow up and click and all that stuff, but all the talent in the world is there, and they're always going to be picked to, to win it in the preseason. So, it was surprising to me, even though people had spoken so highly of Tennessee leading into this stuff, um, the last few months, people talking about picking them to win the league. But it's one thing to talk about it; it's another thing to see the votes there and for them to do it. But uh, Tennessee, Kentucky, LSU, uh, SEC is a little bit top heavy, but between those three, it uh, should be a lot of
1: fun. Well, here, here's the thing, and we're going to have a we're going to have obviously many more basketball only podcasts going forward. Um, we're going to kind of do that thing where we split them into football and basketball uh, because it'll be that time of the year. Clearly, uh, during basketball season, a lot of times that becomes the focal point. So you'll hear Grant's lovely voice a lot more times uh, per week on this podcast. But w- w- when when you look at th- that roster quickly here, I-, I think before we go to break, I-, I can say this. The thing about where I think it makes sense to put Tennessee atop the league is I don't, I don't know – uh, and I'm not saying Tennessee's elite across the board. I, I'm not gonna go there. Um, there there are uh, potentially some other better teams out there in college basketball. You know it's just it's very clear. it's there's three hundred plus teams. What are the odds you're gonna be the best one. But when you go one through five, um, and you go by position group, whether you want to look at it as guards, wings, big men, or you want to go one through five, whichever way you want to look at it. Um, I don't know that I see a lot of huge deficiencies there. I, I look one through five, I see guys who can score and I see guys who can defend those positions. I see depth. Um, I, I see a lot more positives than negatives. I just I don't know where you for sure attack this team and, and I don't know that just because you're not really bad anywhere means you're gonna be a great team, but I, I just I have faith in those young point guards that they've got. I think Bailey's gonna help that position group a lot and, and I I think I just don't see a lot of holes on that roster. You know, is that, is that, am I, am I missing something there? Because I might be.
2: No, this is probably the deepest team that Rick Barnes has had at Tennessee. And I think he's said as much uh, in the last couple of weeks when he's been talking. Um, it, it kind of all depends on the freshmen living up to the hype, uh, uh, you know, five-star freshmen or five-star freshmen, you either kind of hit that ceiling or you don't. Um, obviously, you know, people wanted more out of Josiah James last year. Um, they're, you know, Keon Johnson and, and Jaden Springer, uh, the expectations are going to be through the roof of them because they think those guys are the ones that are going to take this, this roster uh, over the top. I don't really know where you attack them. I think the key for this thing, uh, if they're elite defensively, if they play up to their potential on the defensive end, if they're as athletic and they guard the way they can on the perimeter in the, in the post as well, this will be an elite basketball team, um, even if some of those freshmen don't live up to you know the crazy high expectations that are there. Uh, they can be really, really good defensively, and I think they will be good defensively. Uh, and I think they'll run on offense. They have a ton of athletic ability. You know that guard, the backcourt is you know really crowded with a bunch of athletes. A good mix of freshmen and a good mix of uh, returning experience in Josiah James and Santi Viscovi. Um, so yeah, it's it's I don't know where you attack it either, uh, but I'm still really interested to see what they look like on the floor. Obviously, we haven't seen them in person. We've seen very limited footage of them from practice because everything's been closed down. But uh, I really want to judge this team two or three games in, maybe when they go to Notre Dame early December uh, for the first kind of true road game setting, maybe that'll be a good time to figure out what this team is. They also have Gonzaga on December 2nd. So there's going to be some early tests, but it's going to be fun to watch what this team is and kind of what their identity is exactly.
1: The last thing I'll say before going to break is this. I, I think one of the biggest things about the difference in this Tennessee basketball team this season and, and last season Last season, how much talk was there about Josiah Jordan James? It was just – you couldn't get around it. It was enormous. It it was everywhere. It was this guy. Oh, man, he's just going to be a complete star, yada, yada. There were those of us warning, listen, guys, he's not a 20-point-per-game scorer. He's not the kind of player you think he is, but he is a great player. But regardless, people from the outside looking in, I get it. You know, five-star player, top ten overall, whatever he was. A a guy who got people excited this season – He's still Josiah Jordan-James, and there's just not a lot of talk about him. So he's actually healthy. Yes, he can go into a role now where he can be the glue guy that he's supposed to be. And people are talking about these freshmen, talking about Fulkerson Ponds, Vescovi, all these other things. And a guy like Josiah Jordan-James can just kind of be the player he's supposed to be now. And you don't hear a lot of talk about that. And I think he's still as important as basically anybody on that roster because of all the different things he does. So I think, to me, that tells you a night and day difference between where this team is now and where this team is was last season. Because I think now people understand, um, or people are just kind of, I don't want to say taking for granted, but he, Josiah James is kind of flying under the radar, and he's a great player.
2: Last year, last year was definitely famine because you were going to rely on Lamonte Turner and Jordan Bowden, and Lamonte was out, you know, around Christmas time for the rest of the season. Jordan Bowden, bless his heart, struggled the entire year to to find his shot and uh, to be consistent on the offensive end, even though he did uh, have a pretty good scoring average, even though he didn't shoot the ball very well. Uh, and then obviously, you're trying to to make up ground with Santi, bringing him in mid year and throwing him straight into the point guard position. Uh, and Josiah struggling with that that groin injury or hip injury or, you know, whatever it truly was. It was labeled a few different things over the course of the season. Uh, that was famine, and, and this should be feast because you have Josiah back. You have Santi back. There's a little bit of – there's health for Josiah. There's uh, a semblance of normalcy for uh, Santi for being here for, you know, more than five minutes before he's thrown into the starting lineup. Uh, and you have, you know, the freshmen that we talked about. You have the post guys return that we talked about. But I do agree that Josiah is not a guy that's going to get talked about, but this is, it does feel like this is his team right now. This should be his kind of, he's the face of the program, even though people talk more about Eve uh, and Fulverson in the post.
1: I do agree with that. And I think that's something that we're going to have to discuss more and more as we get to more of a uh, basketball centered podcast world. Uh, but right now we've got other things to discuss too, uh, including Obviously, Tennessee football, and I imagine that most of the mailbag questions we have coming up in the second segment will be football related. I haven't seen them. I try not to look at them before we go. That's kind of our our thing. You know, we kind of want it to be like a, you know, kind of like a radio show where people are calling in and we have to answer on the spot. So uh, we're going to take a quick break, pay some bills, come back, and then we're going to get to your questions uh, from Goval's Twenty Four Seven Checkerboard and from social media. Back in a second, guys. Hashtag. Uh Welcome back to the Govols 24-7 podcast brought to you by whatever products, services, and in-house ads you just heard a moment ago during that commercial break. West Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker studio here late Thursday afternoon, early Thursday evening, depending on how you classify that. Joined by Grant Ramey from Govols 24-7's Blount County Satellite Office in Maryville, talking uh, talking Tennessee football, talking Tennessee basketball. Uh, Also give a shout out to the the Tennessee baseball team, which had its... Uh, fall baseball world series over the weekend i got a lot of good things done there and uh, they're about to put the finishing touches on a class that's ranked fourth or fifth nationally depending on which service you listen to so lots of good things going on there Uh, before we get down to business and talk a little bit of the mailbag though do want to mention quickly if you could go in there just take a minute or two out of your day if you could just go in there really quickly subscribe to this podcast rate and review this podcast that would help us out a lot, Whether it's on iHeart, or I guess I should say Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, iHeart, Stitcher, wherever you can cast a fine pod, you can find the Govos 24-7 podcast. And there's nothing you can do. We do this for free, and we're happy to do that. But there's nothing you can do that will help us out more than the only thing we're going to ask from you, which is to please go in there and rate and review this podcast and hit that subscribe button and tell your friends. I see these numbers every week. They're awesome. This has been a great ride. We're just getting started in a way. It's going to be a lot of fun, uh, but the one thing you can do to help us out is to do that. That would be great. Grant, you ready to get down to the mailbag?
2: Let's do it. Call Malone alone style.
1: Call Malone alone with the Beanie Babies. Here we go. And again, I I should warn you all, I'm looking at this. Normally, I have like two or three screens operating at once. Right now, my computer's only got one, so um, something weird's going on here tech-wise. So I'm looking at these on my phone, so that's going to be a little bit different, but I think we can still get this done. Uh, first question, we'll go in order here. This is from Buckeye Vall 2015 on Goval's 24 7 checkerboard. He said, Are the linebacker struggles just a depth issue or is it coaching? Is Brian Niedermeyer at Linebacker Coach an unnatural fit compared to other position coach spots?
2: Oh boy, good question. Um, I think it's probably a little bit of everything. I think you could talk about coaching. I think you could talk about personnel. I think you could talk about experience. I think you could talk about depth. Crouching. Uh, Jeremy Banks obviously uh, don't have a ton of time at the position, uh, but that doesn't really excuse uh, what's going on there. Niedermeyer obviously doesn't have a lot of time Uh, recently at linebacker coach. Maybe that's part of the issue there. I think it's, I don't think when you, I think when you struggle as much as they've struggled through six games, I don't think you can blame it on any one area. I think it's a mix of a little bit of everything kind of a perfect storm to cause the struggles.
1: I think when you look at it, um, and again, it's a new year, so you can't really use this as an excuse. I'm going to classify this as more of an explanation than an excuse. I think you saw last season uh, in the first two, three games, compared to everything else that happened afterward, you saw what we were talking about going into that season, which was that Daniel Batuli is the rug that ties the room together. He was a guy who got every call in correctly. He was a guy who got everybody where they needed to go. And as great as Henry Tooto is, Daniel Batuli was really the the pure signal caller of that defense and a guy who kind of got everything tied together. And when you replace him uh, with uh, Quaveris Crouch and with Jeremy Banks, uh, that is a drop off. Not athletically. It's not really a drop off athletically, even though they're both a little he's a little bigger than both of them. Um, th- they're both really, really talented players, guys who I think have bright futures, um, but I think that's part of it. I think they're just having some struggles with communication, and I think they're having some struggles technically against the pass. So, um, that you know, you take Nigel Warrior and Daniel Batuli out of the heart of that defense, you go through a weird offseason where guys don't get as many reps as they normally would, and here you are. Uh, I think it's I think it's just a lot of things, you know. Daryl Taylor not being there off the edge to rush the passer, I think that causes some issues. Even though DeAndre Johnson, as Patrick Brown pointed out earlier this week, is still the SEC sack leader this season, which is which really shocked me. Um, but Tennessee's not consistently great at getting after the passer. Uh, you saw a little bit of that late against Arkansas, which was good to see, but. There's just a lot of areas where they're just not quite good enough. I- I'm not going to point any fingers at Niedermeyer. I think he's a really, really smart young coach. I think he's a guy Jeremy Pruitt has all the faith in the world in. I'm not ready to sit here and say that him being a linebacker coach is an issue. He's a guy who knows that position. So I don't I don't buy that. I just I just think you've got guys like if Crouch and Banks could step up, I think you would see a different level of this defense. But right now it's not there. Agree. Next question. Uh, Let's go to James underscore Go He said, how would things have been different if UT would have let Kippy Brown stay interim head coach instead of doing a quick hire with Derek Dooley? Would things be any different than they are right now? What's more important, a strong coach or a strong administration? That is a mouthful. Grant,
2: Wow. I mean, yes, of course, everything would have changed because – and I'm not saying it would have changed for the better. It might have changed for the worse. Uh, obviously, Derek Dooley was a rushed hire and not the right guy. Um, the timing was terrible there when they had an opening, uh, and they were in scramble mode to fill that. Um, Wes, you can speak on to that era more than I can. I was still a student at the time, but that was the first hire. Uh, I guess the second hire, technically, when you include Lane given that they didn't get right. Uh, and every time you don't get that hire right, you – make the job that much more tougher for you, uh, moving forward.
1: Yeah. This is a real, real butterfly effect kind of question. Yes. And, and, and
2: like it depends on if Kippy was a coach, how does that year go and who's available a year later? Who can they bring to town? I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot there.
1: Yeah. For me, it's almost impossible to say because that one decision caused a ripple effect that, that caused a a a pretty large chain reaction to get to where things are now. And so many things have happened as a result of that tumultuous kind of two-year period because that period right there is where things got off the rails for Tennessee. When you have to hire a third coach in three years, I know Arkansas State was able to do like, what, five and five years or something crazy and they were okay, uh, whatever it was. But that's, that's a rarity, um, you know, because they, they kept some of the same system there, did some things. Tennessee completely changed its systems on both sides of the ball basically three times uh, in three years. And, and uh, it, it's hard to, to, to overstate just how much damage that does to a program. So to answer the question, would keeping things a little more stable after Kiffin left, and if you had kept Kippy there and all those things, would that have made – a difference, sure, Um, but I don't know what kind of difference it would have made. I don't it's know. One of
2: those, it's like one of those choose-your-own-ending books. Yeah. Where you it, have to turn turn to page 87 to figure out what would happen if KP had stayed.
1: Boy, here's another tough one. These are not easy, great. Wait, wait,
2: wait. wait we, we, we left out the last one from his question.
1: Oh, more uh, important, a strong coach or a strong administration? Um, strong now, but,
2: coach. Strong coach, 1,000%. I could be Nick Saban's AD and say, you good, Nick? Okay, you're good. Let's go. What do you need, Nick? You good? You got everything? You happy with your money, You're happy with your staff, you happy with your facilities? Check.
1: Yeah, I'll say there's one position that matters a lot more than people realize it does, and that's probably your compliance director. Um, that's sure. that's an area that if you don't have that higher right, your entire planet can fall apart, football related. So I think that's that's one position where it's secretly as important as anything you do. But if you're talking about just a coach or a football administration, I'll probably take the coach because if you're like, Ramsey said, if you're good enough at coach, you're good enough to overcome some other deficiencies. But you have to have
2: that administration in place to get that coach. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you do. It's a chicken and egg thing kind
1: of. Here's another really, really tough question, but a kind of a fun one actually question from stallion ball. Where do y'all see college football in 30 years?
2: uh in 30 years college football smaller stadiums uh lesser attendance just because that's the way it's going um more people like to stay home and watch it on tv and do that thing i think it'll be a completely different game because it's a completely different game right now than it was 30 years ago it's a completely different game than it was 15 years ago i don't know what style um it'll be but i think college football will still exist i think there will probably be uh, the name and image lightness stuff will probably be, you know, leaps and bounds farther down the road than it is right, right now. And you know, they're going to have to kind of create a system that works, but and evolve as as this stuff evolves. But uh, the the sport will still be there, in my opinion. It'll be who knows what it'll look like, but it'll it'll be there and it'll be something.
1: You know how one one thing that I kind of hope for, and I know it's it's obviously very different. But do you remember, like, um. In, in NASCAR, obviously, when Dale Earnhardt passed away and they came up with that Hans device or whatever it was, they really started promoting that, and it, and it led to more driver safety. I hope there is some sort of a technological innovation there with football helmets, with the neck and with the brain, um, because if, if they can – and I don't know what that technological leap would be. I am not even remotely smart enough to try to figure that out. Um, But if there's a way you can cushion that, if there's a way you can make it more secure, if you can prevent these head injuries, then by far the most popular sport in America will remain so moving forward. I do think, however, I mean, you're starting to see even more cracks in that. I remember a few, few weeks ago, I think it was a couple weeks ago maybe, when Lane Kiffin had one of his players at Ole Miss had a pretty nasty injury during practice and was sort of temporarily paralyzed and... You know, they asked Lane Kiffin about his kids playing football, and he basically said, I could care less if my kid plays football. If he doesn't, whatever. Uh, you're starting to see a little more cracks in that because – and I'm not a parent yet, you know, so so I don't know exactly how I would feel. But if they can't figure out safety in football with these head injuries and, and there's going to be more scientific studies as the year goes on, more and more former players are donating their their brains to science after they pass away – there's a lot of people who are going to want to play the sport regardless, but the more that this stuff comes out with what this game does to your brain and what it does to your body, I think you're going to see more parents saying, I don't want my kid doing this Um, because there's going to be evidence out there that says, this isn't a great idea. So that would be one thing I would absolutely love to see. And I think it's as important as anything else. I know that uh, fan attendance uh, in an era where we all have these 60 inch 4K TVs that show us everything and, you know, I, I get that 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 it's that's going to be something huge to watch. But I think if they can't figure out player safety better, um, as players get bigger and stronger, because sports science is developing all the time, these guys are, you know, bigger than Anthony Munoz and running forties faster than Jerry Rice. I mean, the game is just mind bogglingly dangerous in terms of the the size and strength of these guys. So that's something I think that football, if it doesn't figure it out uh, in the next couple of decades i don't know how much of a future the sport has
2: i heard this years ago and i don't know who deserves credit but it's stuck in my head ever since then if you want to uh try to fix the head violence in football just take off the face mask you ever heard that
1: yeah uh because that might lead to carnage for a few years but then a better thing in the long run (laughs) you'll learn Yeah, you'll learn pretty quickly not to stick your head in there if you're going to break your nose every time you uh, do it. Let's
2: see. Go ahead and stick that fork in the light socket and see what happens.
1: Yeah, can you imagine being in a fumble pile without a face mask? Oh, God.
2: don't think we should do the uh, parenting routine for the sport of football.
1: I'll tell you, anyone who's ever been in a fumble pile can tell you that is probably one of the worst places in the world to be. If you've never played football... That is just a nightmare. You got to do
2: that football. Yeah, you start questioning things when you're down there.
1: Yeah, you got to, I mean, you got to cover up your eyes, your nuts. I mean, it's, anything goes down there. It's not, it's not fun. Uh, next question from waterfall not football related. Why is there often a background noise in the podcast that sounds like the newsroom in a newspaper publishing company in the older shows and movies? Does Wes type his articles during recording? Uh, That's a really good question. To answer your question, no, I'm not typing articles during recording usually, but I am having to produce this podcast. Uh, And normally what happens is the person who's hosting the podcast is not also the producer, so they're able to mute themselves while they're typing things and while they're getting things moved around, getting music and audio queued up doing the different things we do, and I I have to do that from here, and a lot of times I just don't hit the mute button, so that's why you hear, you know, here's a, you know, that right there that you're hearing. These are really, really good microphones, and they pick up on things like that, so the other guys are uh, often sitting there talking or or, uh, twiddling on their phones a little bit. Uh, I'm actually hitting a keyboard, and I think that, that makes it a little bit different. I'm so recording that, in a
2: walk-in closet if you guys really want to peek behind the curtain how <laughs> glamorous this life is.
1: It's, it's, it's great. 2020, you are the best. Uh, here's another question. Hane 62. Oh, great. You know it's going to be hand-to-hand combat related, and it sure is. Who would win in hand-to-hand combat, Eve Pons or Henry Tooto? Oh,
2: Eve. I like this, the reach on Eve. It's all about reach.
1: Yeah, what's, what's Hank T? He's about, what, 6'2", 230,
2: 6'2", 225? Yeah. he something. doesn't have Eve's arm length,
1: though. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, because Eve Eve is what? What's Eve's actual weight
2: listed as? Uh, 220-ish. Hold, yeah. please.
1: Let me look here as I hit the keyboard so you can hear more of these clicks. I don't
2: think you want any part of Eve puns. Well, I don't know.
1: He's listed at maybe he's a gentle giant. What about six six two twenty? Um, but Eve Pons is one of the most six uh, six two
2: fifteen.
1: Yeah, he's one of the most absolutely ridiculous athletes I've ever covered in terms of pure athleticism. And uh, when he wants to go somewhere, he usually goes there. If he wants to put his head down and do it, so if you were fighting, uh, I think because of the reach, I think you'd have to go with with Eve. Now, if 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 Toa Toa could use some of those football skills and get him on the ground, be the lower man make it more of a wrestling match than a boxing match. Uh, You know, when, when there's like two different MMA fighters and I know nothing about MMA, so I might just be completely wrong on this, but you probably have two guys in that fight who have two drastically different styles and um, whoever dictated the way that match was wrestled or boxed would probably be the winner.
2: Oh boy. pad level. level about pad level
1: low man wins, right? Low man wins. Next question. Granger, Mater, 23. three. are going right for the jugular. Who would y'all pick to be the starting quarterback by midseason next year?
2: I mean, there's only one answer right now, right, Harrison Bailey? By midseason next year?
1: By midseason next year, I'm going to say Caden Salter.
2: That's true, too. I um, mean, wasn't really thinking that.
1: I mean, he, he's the guy who, to me, is – and again, he could show up to Tennessee and be a complete bust. But the more I watch this kid, uh, just the way he moves around, the way he can make just absolutely every throw from every angle, uh, kind of a you know mini Patrick Mahomes thing going on there. I, I just I think he's a guy who, if you want to talk about some dynamics at the position, I think he's a guy who could give you some dynamics. And, and so it's just a guess and. and for all I know, Harrison Bailey could be a, a Heisman contender this time next year. I have no idea. But if you asked me, put a gun to the head right now and said, yes, I would probably say Salter.
2: Sound the alarms. Wes mentioned Salter and Mahomes in the same sentence.
1: Yeah, I know, right? It's like when you see so a player who's like, be. you know, do I, is, that, is that like the, uh, the Buzz Peterson comparing everyone who's good at basketball to Michael Jordan?
2: I he, think for me it would like depend Mike, on how, he, many, how many games get played from here on out. Is there a normal spring? Is there a normal fall? camp uh is is there a sense of normalcy there if so uh, maybe Salter could step in and and be a guy that's ready from day one if not maybe you know what you're getting from Harrison Bailey by that stage
1: yeah I think that it it, and again I hate I hate the Mahomes thing but I, I remember you know anyone who was good at basketball Buzz Peterson who was a Michael Jordan's college roommate in North Carolina Used to be like, you know. At first, he said it about Jarvis Hayes, and everyone was like, "Ooh, that could be." Look at that. But then he started comparing like just anyone who was good at basketball. He looks like my former roommate, and so it became kind of a running joke. I, I don't want to uh, say that he's anywhere near that planet. I'm just saying when you talk about that kind of player, I think he's a guy who has those some of those traits. So that would plug, be,
2: plug the company. Steve Wil- Steve Wilfong published a, a story Thursday on talking to Salter's coach because Salter's, you know you know, having a pretty good Texas football, high school football playoff uh, right now. And his, his coach was talking about his gift is extending plays and, and finding a way to uh, get out of trouble and to keep his eyes downfield and to make a play. Uh, maybe it's because I was raised in a video game generation, but I want a quarterback that can scramble around a little bit, that can uh, get out of a pocket. I think that covers up a lot of deficiencies, especially an offensive line that through six games this year has really struggled. Uh, to find continuity, to to produce on the field consistently. Um, if if you can have a quarterback, that can extend plays, and uh, that that covers up a lot of you know otherwise bad stuff.
1: Yeah, I'm going to say the same thing I've been saying for ten years. If I'm a college football coach, um, I don't want if my quarterback is not like in the uh, like Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers mold. I want a dude who can run around um, because if you. Don't run around a lot. You better be so unbelievably quick with your quick with your release. You better be such a great play caller. You know, uh, you know, check reader, all those other things. You better do everything at an elite level if you can't run. And it's really hard to find those guys. So what would I do? I would get a guy who could run around a little bit. And if that meant that in some cases there were some mild or, or, or moderate limitations in the passing game, I don't care. Uh, I, live I with it. you know you live with it because plays are getting blown up in the backfield because these edge rushers are just freaks of nature and these defensive coordinators are very attack minded they're bringing guys from corner nickel every linebacker spot safety spot you know they're they're changing things all the time and you know with some of this rpo stuff and everything i just i mean i want a quarterback who could run a little bit that's just me but that's that's my opinion i've been saying that for 10 years and i'm not going to stop saying it uh, next question, BuckeyeVall2015, how surprised or unsurprised were y'all with the preseason nods for Fulky and Pons? I was kind of surprised they weren't given uh, – they weren't flipped given Pons' pop-off-the-TV playmaking ability.
2: No, I, I kind of still uh, lean toward Fulkerson getting a higher nod than, than Eve. Eve is obviously elite defensively. He's the reigning SEC defensive player of the year. He blocked 73 shots last year. Uh, but what Fulkerson was able to do late in the schedule uh, during SEC play, that 27-point that game he had at Kentucky, Tennessee came down, back from 17 down. I think that was a national TV game. Uh, I think he made a pretty big um, imprint on people last year, late last year, and obviously it ended abruptly. He didn't get to do anything postseason-wise, SEC tournament, uh, the way it got canceled. So I think that was kind of the lasting impression is what he was able to do late in the season. And I think a lot of people know that you know, this team is going to kind of go like John Fulkerson goes. If he struggles, if him and Eve struggle, this team's going to struggle. I don't know that they directly play through them, um, but they know that those are the veteran guys in the post. And I wasn't too surprised. I thought maybe they would both be second team. I I wasn't sure if Fulkerson would get a first team nod, but I expected Fulkerson to be a little bit ahead of Pons in terms of voting.
1: Yeah, that's sort of what I expected too. I, I didn't. I didn't see any kind of reason to believe that. Eve Eve made
2: huge strides offensively last season, but he has to consistently continue to make those strides because he still has stuff to prove on that end of the play.
1: Yeah, the way that that Fulkerson played at the end of last season when everyone knew – how important he was to the team and, and how important it was that he produced every game and he still was out there producing pretty much every single game. That shows a lot to me um, because, you know, Ponds, you, you never really knew. He could go off like he did at times against Kansas at Kentucky and that could be in the biggest games, and he can do that, but you don't know what you're going to get. With Fulkerson, though, toward the end of the season especially, uh, when he really turned the corner, he didn't, he didn't look back. He, he just kind of kept going forward, and that's why that I don't care how many talented guards they've got on this team – they're still going to run a lot of things through Fulkerson because he's so good at what he does, and I just I'm not surprised by that at all. I would have been surprised if Folkerson hadn't been named preseason first team All SEC, but that's that's just me. It's uh, the
2: world we're living in preseason Folk.
1: Yeah, preseason the incredible Folk rides again, and maybe could have two more years. We'll see how that goes. Uh, next question here. This will be we got a couple more from our board. Then we'll move to social media quickly. Uh, this question is from Dewey Swims. Who said, My name is, my last name is Swims, not Sims. I'm not offended, but journalists, aka West, should be able to read LOL. <laughs> it's kind of a, it's kind of a. Go off, Dewey, go off. <laughs> yeah, it seems like you just kind of, Dewey Sims seems, seems like what it should be, right? Like you just don't really see that W in there. You just don't really. Don't
2: you tell that man what his name should be?
1: It kind of, kind of surprises, kind of surprises. It just kind of jumps up on you a little bit. Uh, but he also called me a journalist and not you, so that's, that's important. Um,
2: got that part wrong, so he's got to fact check himself.
1: <laughs> Dewey swims. Uh, if you could fix one thing on this football team that would make an instant impact, besides quarterback, what would it be? Also, how deep does this hole go? Well, I don't know what hole you're talking about, but if you're talking about right now how they're playing, it could be worse, and I don't know that it won't be. But maybe
2: he was just standing beside a hole while he talked that. <laughs> yeah,
1: he was. He was. There was a big. There's a big creek or a big big ditch in the property. He's like, how how deep does this go?
2: Is this oh, like Grand Canyon? To find out.
1: Just gotta jump I in. think
2: my answer is if I can't pick the quarterback, it's got to be the offensive line because this team wants to run the football as much as it wants to run the football and wants to control the clock uh, and tempo. Uh, you got to fix your offensive line. And if you fix your offensive line, obviously Jerry Grantana's a, a lot better quarterback. Uh, Harrison Bailey would have time to do something. Uh, even Brian Mauer would look better with a better offensive line. So uh, as, as much as the defensive has struggled, uh, it's a little bit kind of at all three levels there, defensive line, defensive uh, in the backfield and, and the linebackers, you know, if you fix the offensive line, at least you can score points and, and hope you can outscore your competition if you can't stop them for four quarters.
1: Yeah, offensive line might have been my answer, but I don't want us to have the same answer. So I'll go to the other side of the ball and I'll say pass rush. I would want an elite pass rush because you saw at the end of that Arkansas game, right, um, in the final, what, the final Arkansas's final two or three possessions there, when Tennessee right. was really bringing the hammer off the edge and causing some issues, Arkansas couldn't do anything, man. They couldn't block them. And if you're Tennessee and you you say, okay, I've got problems, my safeties over the middle aren't covering, my nickels over the middle aren't covering, my linebackers uh, in pass coverage have been a nightmare, how can I limit that stuff? Well, I can hit the quarterback before he throws it. So if i got to fix either three things back there or one thing, Kind of toward the edge. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to fix the one thing. If I can fix one thing, I would say give me some more like backfield erasers off the edge. Give me some guys who blow up plays before they start, uh, because there are so many things that Tennessee would have to do better offensively to score points. And you have to score points to win in this era. So I think Grant's answer is right. But if you're not going to go out there and score forty or fifty, you better be able to defend. And if you can't guard the pass. Then you you got to hit the quarterback before he gets there. So that's what I would that's what I would fix. I think teams are still not, in general, able to kind of just go in a, in a phone booth and run over Tennessee. You kind of have to spread the field, get to the perimeter, do some other things. When you run right at them, even Georgia didn't have a lot of success doing that. So I think they're okay there. I think it's just they gotta they gotta get better pass rushing off the edge because if they do that, then it doesn't matter that you know they can't really guard guys on the but, back end.
2: My defensive backs coach in high school played for ETSU and played Terry Bradshaw in a bowl game. And they uh, ETSU beat Louisiana Tech and Terry Bradshaw, and he told us about it every single day. And he said, of course, it's hard for a quarterback to beat you when you're on your back. So I agree. Get the quarterback down, it's hard to beat you.
1: Got a couple more off social media before we get out of here. Uh, let's see here. We'll go to uh, – this is a question from Sammy Adams 80 on Twitter. What would be better for Tennessee football? Uh, Jared Garantano finishes the season and they go 4-6 and six, or – uh, Harrison Bailey finishes the season uh, with some ups and downs, but shows promise, and Tennessee finishes three and seven.
2: Oh, boy. Um, probably Harrison Bailey in three and seven because that's what the fans want to see right now. They, they, they've they seen what they uh, – all they want to see from Derek Gantano, even though, I mean, at Arkansas, he looks like the most effective quarterback they had on the roster before he got hurt. Uh, the way Maurer played and, and the way Bailey was limited, maybe that was play calling, maybe that was on him, I don't know. Uh, but I think they want to see what Harrison Bailey has, even if that means, you know, winning one more game from here on out. I don't know. That's a really, really good question.
1: My only concern with picking Bailey would be that what if he goes out there and doesn't show promise and just gets the crap be- kicked out of him and he doesn't show a lot of promise. At that point, you know, you're taking the one thing you had in the bullpen to excite people and you're, you're muddying it up. Um, and so then going forward – when you start evaluating what the coaching staff is doing, when you start evaluating the program, you go, uh, "This has no hope of being better next year unless Salter comes in and he sets the world on fire." Uh, you know that, and, and I, I don't think you coach from fear. I don't think you play from fear. I think that that leads you to uh, to that doesn't that doesn't foster success. It just doesn't. But I think you have to think about um, the the big picture. Do I, I? I think being realistic and being you know afraid are different things. And if you think that Garantano is your best chance to win games and you want to win games to help recruiting, you want to win games to to get fans kind of back in a little bit. I I think you gotta try to win games. Now if if you want to start Bailey, I have no problem with that. I think that'd be I mean, selfishly from my standpoint, I'd love to see that. You know, we've seen what Garantano can do. We know the limitations there, we know the headaches there. So show me something different, right? I mean, that'd be Tiny fun. new toy. Yeah. Just show me the new toy. I think that'd be fun. It'd give you give you a reason to sit there and watch. But if it's not if he's not ready and if it's gonna make a bad situation worse, and you don't have much faith in him to run the offense, and what you do is hand it off or check down the entire game, what's the point? So if you're gonna put him in there, let him run the offense. If you're gonna I think put, from the fan
2: perspective. I think you take JG in a five and five record set on the table, even though the the proposition was four and six. Yeah. I think from the fan perspective, just polling 100% fans, I think they'd rather see Harrison Bailey, even if that meant three and seven, and just know what you have going into the offseason uh, versus just kind of thinking about what might be there going into 2021.
1: Well, also, there, if you play Bailey and you start Bailey and you make him your guy the rest of the season, you're running the risk of losing Shrout and Maurer going into next season, which I don't think is something that should terrify you, but you, Tennessee needs quarterbacks. You need numbers there until Tennessee's offensive line uh, and questionable decision-making at quarterback until those guys stop killing themselves. I mean, you need numbers. You need options.
2: I award I, I this question the Grant's Pretzel Brain question of the week because you put me in a pretzel. Yeah, that's tough.
1: Uh, let's see here. Question from... <laughs> Jeremy Webb, what's the chance that uh, Pruitt finally decides that riding Garantano into the sellers isn't a solid game plan and actually comes up with a game plan to win instead of trying to manage every loss?
2: First of all, that's kind of rude. Yeah,
1: <laughs> that's kind of mean. That is, that, I kind of went that that one that one went right for the that one right for the beanbag.
2: I mean, honestly, what we saw at Arkansas with JG on the field versus other quarterbacks on the field, I don't know if it's a slight to Harrison Bailey and his skill level or they just don't trust him, but obviously he's not ready to do much if they're down 11 and they're going to hand off six times late in the fourth quarter. I mean, right now it's not the popular answer. People want to kill you when you say it, but it feels like Jerry Gantone is the most effective quarterback they have on roster.
1: I have Um, no, I have no questions about that. If you're trying to win games right now, he is your best chance to do it.
2: I mean, JG didn't give up three 75 yard touchdown drives in the third quarter. You know, I mean, this team has a lot of faults. It's not just on one guy. I, I, as as frustrated as fans get with JG, I can understand it to a point, but there's so many things that they have to get right on this football team, and the quarterback is just one of those pieces.
1: Yeah, I, I want to be clear what I mean there. I don't mean that Jared Garantano is the guy that you start, but I'm saying if your main goal right now is to win games in this calendar year, it, I have no doubt that he's your best option to do that. And, and
2: I think they're going to continue to do that because they're going to play the guys that give them the best chance to win, even if it drives people
1: crazy. That's sort of what I think too. I think that's not the answer people want to hear, and I'm not putting it down with 100 percent confidence rating, but that's 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 what I think. Question from I hate tweeter, which is hey, good name, and he's got Twitter, and he's got Archer drinking a margarita as his background pick. So I already love everything about this guy. Also, question typed in all caps which Ramy will really love uh, how he's in very exclaiming yeah you're, he's uh, should I should I yell this question just because that's what, what he did <laughs> how in the world have we not installed a wildcat or some sort of Holloway holiday Calloway Beckwith package all very explosive talented wildcat quarterbacks in high school that's how I he mean, said it in all caps
2: preach I uh, hate tweeter whatever your username was I'm all about the wildcat I my my some of my formative years were the, the the G gun back in what 06?
1: yeah
2: range Gerald uh what was it Gerald Jones in the shotgun yep I mean you got to figure something out if if those guys can help you you got to get creative because obviously it's very stale at the moment you got to figure something out you got to have answers you you still have Auburn you still have Florida you still have uh Vanderbilt you still have A and M uh, possibly at the end of the year so you yeah I would be trying to get as creative as I could because I want to win football games. And at the current rate, the offense is – if you can't run the football straight traditionally, uh, if this team gets behind, that's when this team really falls apart because they can't really make up that ground offensively uh, and put points on the board. So you better figure out as many ways you can to be productive.
1: They tried to go to that Eric Gray direct snap package last week, but they went to it at a weird place. They had a first and goal at the one and Jared Garantano sneaking the ball last year, not such a great thing this year. Uh, he's had the
2: impromptu sneak.
1: Yeah. The, yeah. This year he's had, um, you know, he's, he's had a lot of success doing that. So why wouldn't you just go back to that there? Did they have to take a timeout with yeah. Eric Gray in the shotgun. They sure did. On
2: the first and goal. Uh, anyway, the, the first step obviously wasn't that huge of a problem, but yeah, I would say get creative as many ways you can, especially if you have guys that you think can help you there.
1: Yeah. I think there's no reason not to do that. Um, I think you need to have all hands on deck. uh, Because I think at this point, people will give you a hard time if you're out there trying something radically different every week and it doesn't work. But they won't. They'll give you an even harder time if you keep doing the same thing and it keeps not working. So... You know, I think that you have to – either way, you're running a risk, but I think you got to do something different because right now in football, let's face it, look at these offensive numbers. Look at these offensive numbers every single year. This is a chart – I mean, it's it's kind of like, like the COVID numbers. It's just going up every freaking year, right? It's just going up all the time. And why not try something different because you're not scoring enough points to win games. You cannot manage football games in this era. You have to score points to win. And Tennessee's not scoring enough points, so
2: well, I think we're far enough removed from Gainesville twenty sixteen for you to be mentioning a chart.
1: <laughs> it's, it's a standard football chart. Uh, last couple questions. Uh, we will get to uh, this. Is sort of it's the last one we'll take because two people asked the same question. Uh, this question from Big Orange Pruitt on Twitter said, "What are the reasons why the slant pass was such an issue against Arkansas?" Followed up by a question from Country Vol, who replied to that and said, "Do you mean every game this season, yeah, both offense and defense?"
2: I agree, country This is not just an Arkansas thing. This is a all-season thing. I don't know. I don't know really what the answer is. I would like to blame inside linebackers, but it's not always on inside linebackers. It's on safeties as well. They've attacked safeties with those patterns just like they've attacked uh, the linebackers. I don't know what it is. It's And it's not even really just the slant. It's the middle of the field in general that teams have attacked and, and beaten this Tennessee defense with. Uh, and I don't really know what the blame is if it's experience if it's personnel if it's they're just not able to handle it but it's as crazy as and frustrating as the offense is for people to watch it's equally to me mind-boggling that they can't fix this issue of getting beat over the middle of the field they have to be able to adjust and i don't know it's it's if i had an explanation um i would you know, somebody be hiring me as a football coach because clearly there's not one that this team can't fix it.
1: Yeah, I I see one issue, uh, or I, if I saw just one issue in particular, I would hammer it home. But and I'm I'm not a guy who who is an absolute X's and O's football expert. There are other sports that I know a lot more about. But uh, just in terms of the pure X's and O's, I'm not saying I don't know football. I'm saying there are other sports schematically that understand that, that just naturally come easier to me. I guess I played them more, whatever it was, but. I I see when I look at this, there's a couple of times where the RPO stuff, they're just making bad reads and they're leaving guys open because they're just not making the right read, whether it's quick play action stuff or whatever it is, they're 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 just not they're they're just not recognizing things quickly enough. I also see times where they're just not playing good inside leverage. No, I mean you you saw on film against Arkansas, there were several times where Tennessee's, you know, safeties inside, inside backers, outside backers, whoever it was, played proper inside leverage technique, and Arkansas could not get that pass open. There were also many times where they just did not do it, and they just let the guy, let the offense get inside leverage on them. I don't know if it's because defensively you're taught so often to funnel everything back to the inside, right? That's just what you do because um, you know you 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 want guys, you know, you don't want guys getting the edge on you so sometimes you try to filter things back that way i don't know what it is but there are three or four things happening and it's different things at different times and teams are just picking them apart with this um and and i i think there are alignment issues with it i think there are awareness issues with it i think in some cases there are just some some athletic deficiencies maybe in a couple of areas but I see a ton of different things when I'm watching it, and I don't know how they fix that problem because teams are going to go to that all of the time. Kentucky, which really cannot throw forward passes. Let's say that again. Kentucky sucks at throwing forward passes, but Kentucky had success by just spreading the field, and Tennessee tried to put numbers in the box to stop that run, and they would just find the one-on-one matchup, throw a slant, and get yards.
2: And And we also saw against Arkansas that, they're susceptible to the big play as well and and maybe this is an issue of you can't play tight coverage because you're afraid to get beat deep and you would rather give up you know an eight yard slant as opposed to a 59 yard uh pass down the sideline like uh you know arkansas did a couple of quick drives where they had really big chunk plays uh to score touchdowns so i don't know maybe that's a factor if you're trying to play bend don't break and not get beat deep over for the big play i don't know but the fact that it's happened for this long makes me wonder why they can't get it fixed, how they can't get it fixed, or if it'll ever get fixed this season.
1: The shortest way I can put this, because we're already a little bit overboard on time, the the shortest way I can answer this is I can tell you this. It's clear to me on film that Tennessee does not have a clear identity on either side of the ball because Tennessee doesn't know exactly what it's going to get from its players. That's one thing I can tell you is that – usually on offense and defense, if a team's doing something right, you can tell what their identity is, you can tell what people's roles are, and you can tell they're trying to play to the strengths of their team. Defensively, different issues are popping up at different times. They're not getting a a consistent pass rush. Uh, Sometimes the safeties are just not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Sometimes the corners are locked on tight. Sometimes they're not. Uh, Sometimes you're rushing the passer. Sometimes you're not. I mean, the one thing they're doing pretty consistently well is if you run directly at them, they're, they're pretty good at stuffing that up. But it's just—it's got to be hard to call a defense and to have a plan when you don't know what you're going to get. And I think that's what you're seeing: is teams are giving Tennessee lots of questions. Tennessee's not answering enough of them, and they're kind of trying to survive some of these things instead of really kind of going after the other team. And I think that's really the opposite of everything Jeremy Pruitt stands for as a defensive coach. But I think that's where they are right now. Fun times fun times. Anything else, Grant? Very
2: very uplifting okay. message to end on.
1: Yeah, that's that's tough. Anything else, Grant, before we step out of here? Is that it, is that it for Remember me? We're
2: Saturdays. Frustration-free yeah. Saturday. Enjoy it.
1: There you go. That's uh is, I guess there's there's some honey list things to take care of, I suppose now. It's the only negative. Guys, I'm going to hit that button. Cause some more background noise and we're going to get out of here. Thanks as always for listening as my phone is now ringing because this is unprofessional. Why did that ring? I had it on silent. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Grant Ramey is Grant Ramey on Twitter. Patrick Brown is P. Brown 24-7 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. You can also find all of us Uh, On social media, if you want just Tennessee news, nothing else, you can get that at twitter.com slash govoss247, or you can go to facebook.com slash govoss247, which is updated consistently throughout the day with tons and tons of information. Not just Vol stuff there, um, but mostly Vol stuff. Or if you want to go get that delicious Smoky Mountain, East Tennessee spring water, just right right from the source, go to govoss247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internets, to get everything you need for Tennessee football, Football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, baseball, Lady Vol sports, where Maria Cornelius does an excellent job covering all things Lady Vols for us. You can also get all that information uh, and discuss... Uh, discuss anything you want with Tennessee fans in a water cooler type setting. We've got the checkerboard on there, which is uh, mostly uh, kind of a general theme, but men's sports dominate that discussion. Then we've got the, the summit, the appropriately named summit, uh, which focuses on Lady balls uh, and all their stuff, and Maria Cornelius is on that board all the time. So tons of good stuff there, and if you you get all of that, I mean, I'm talking sometimes more than 20 content items in an average day, just per day, all of that, plus audio, plus video, everything for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. It is a great deal and one that I hope y'all take advantage of. Uh, And if you pay us full price as a member, you get free access in perpetuity to CBS All Access, which is CBS's streaming platform, which has uh, every show CBS has ever made, commercial-free. You get new movies every single month, commercial-free, obviously. You get, um, basically, you get live sports. You get Tennessee football, Tennessee basketball, college football, uh, college basketball, uh, March Madness will be on there. Uh, you've got um, you've got NFL stuff that's on there all the time. World Series of Poker stuff that's on there all the time. Uh, excitingly now, you also get UEFA Champions League and UEFA Europa League on there, which is fun stuff, and you get that all the time on there year-round. Tons of good stuff there. And you also get, on top of that, you get, uh, let's see here, you get Comedy Central, you get uh, MTV, BET, Uh, Smithsonian and Nickelodeon for the kiddos. So all kinds of fun stuff for the whole family. That's more than $100 of an annual value. That's us putting $100 in your pocket. Nobody else can give you that deal, guys. We can give you that deal. And it's one that you should take advantage of. Uh, If nothing else, if there's no major breaking news over the weekend, you should hear from us again on Monday. And we will also have some hoop stuff coming up soon, too. So look forward to all that. And uh, guys, I know Tennessee's off this weekend, but um, be safe. If you're going somewhere, keep your mask on, wash your hands. Let's get through this together because this whole thing sucks and it needs to end quickly. So that's it. See you.